0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting Bluehost.com. That's Bluehost.com.
1: Welcome to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We're all new for 2023 and featuring a wide mix of variety shows from the golden age of radio to include comedy, music, drama, cop shows, and much more. For those of you who want nonstop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Meanwhile, 1001 Radio Days will be bringing back some memories along with some great entertainment every Wednesday and Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And now, our show.
2: From Hollywood, it's time now for...
3: Johnny Dollar! Johnny Dollar! Yeah, I'm Johnny Dollar. There's a phone call for you in the office, Mr. Dollar. But my plane's about to take off. He said it's
4: very urgent, sir. Well, it better be. Or I don't get back to heart. Hey, look, my name's Dollar. I understand you have a... Oh, thanks. Johnny Dollar. Todd Swam, Johnny, at the Chamber of Commerce. Oh, Todd, look, I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to say goodbye to you, and I appreciate all your help. Johnny! Like your city, too. Nice people. Good fishing. But I barely had time to make my plane reservation, pack my Johnny, stuff... Johnny, and... you've got to cancel your reservation. Cancel? My plane's already to leave. Earl Poorman is on his way to the airport now to pick you up and bring you back here. Look, we proved that the accident in that rocket fuel laboratory was an accident. I know. Dr. Alworth's technician, that Leon Salkov, is not a I Russian know. spy. So the company will pay for the damage, and that's that. Will the company also pay a claim on Leon Salkov? Don't see why not. Now, look, i got to catch my... What? What? Salkoff is dead. Johnny, it looks like murder.
2: Bob Bailey, in the exciting adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, Act One of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
4: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Tri-State Life and Casualty Insurance Company, Sarasota, Florida. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Salkoff sequel matter. Expense account item one, three dollars, no show penalty for cancelling the flight back to Hartford. By the time I hung up the phone on Todd Swam, Earl Poorman had pulled a shiny new cad into the airport parking lot, and we took off. I'm glad Todd caught you before he climbed aboard that plane, Johnny. Earl, he said that Leon Salkoff had been murdered. That's what it looks like. Well, what happened? Actually, he's just disappeared. But under circumstances, that make it look like he's been murdered. Any idea who? Johnny, you know as well as I do that he was pretty deep in subversive activities during the last war. Yeah, but he's been given a clean slate. At least so far as our country is concerned. Right. But then... Wait a minute... If some of his old pals, and we know there are plenty of them in this country, working for the other side... Right. If they know he's working for us, the first thing they'd do for the sake of their great and glorious cause... ...would be to eliminate one Leon Salkov. Yeah. Or at the very least persuade him, and I mean torture him... ...into telling the formula the stuff he's helped Dr. Allworth develop. Exactly. Where and how did it happen? Well, you'll have to get the details from Todd Swam. Us common people aren't even allowed to know where Alworth's lab is hidden away, you know... That's why I'm taking you to see Todd. Then drive on. Todd was waiting for us at the Chamber of Commerce building. He thanked Earl for dragging me in from the airport. Earl left, then Todd and I walked out to his car. Here, Johnny, use my car. You know where to go. Out to the lab? Yes. You still haven't told me what happened to Leon Salcoff. Because I don't know exactly... Dr. Alworth called me from the nearest phone down there, told me Salkoff is gone and that he's sure he was murdered. Have you dragged the police in on this? No, but I telephoned the FBI in Washington. They've promised to send a man. Well, do they know I'm here? They might not want any interference. Well, I told them about your investigation down there at the lab, and they said to give you a free hand. All right, good. Well, I'd better get going. Johnny, let me know what you find out. Once again, I headed south on Route 41, down through Fort Myers, where I swung left on 82 and on into the heart of the Everglades. I found the old wagon trail leading into the swampy jungle and finally came to the shack of the Indian Ben Osceola. There, I hopped aboard one of his airboats, one of those strange little contraptions driven by an airplane-type propeller. Fifty minutes later, I pulled up at the brush-covered island in the middle of that vast, wet, soggy swamp. Dr. Allworth was standing in front of the well-hidden laboratory. Mr. Dollar. Mr. Dollar, I'm so glad you haven't left you. Oh, what's happened out here, Doctor? Oh, it's been terrible. A, a terrible thing, like, like a nightmare. Uh, here, come inside. I'll show you and tell you everything I know. Oh. Our living quarters are down this corridor. Yeah, I remember. After you and Mr. Swam left us yesterday, Leon and I went to work immediately to replace the rocket fuel additive we had lost in the accident you investigated. Yes. Oh, if only I'd paid attention when he told me about the man he'd seen in Fort Myers the day before. But we were so busy. Wait a minute, what man? Someone he'd known in Europe during the war. A man he suspected of now working for... Well, for those who'd like to sabotage our... Uh, Go on, Doctor. Look, Mr. Dollar, this is my room. And this right next to it is Leon's room. Great Scott. Yes, there must have been a terrible struggle. And Doctor, this looks like blood on the floor. Now, what happened? Well, it was early this morning before dawn. I heard voices in here. At first, I thought Leon was shouting in his sleep. Yes. But then he began to call for help, and I heard the furniture being knocked about. Well, didn't you come in here? Something had been shoved against my door. This table. I couldn't open it. Then I heard the shot. I heard Leon scream with pain. Then another shot. Oh, terrible, terrible. terrible. Come on, Doc. Then I heard them drag poor Leon's body away outside. But how did you get out of your room? By by placing my bed as you see it now, I was able to brace my feet against it, force the table away from my door. Now, come, Mr. Dollar. All right. I pursued them down this hall, but by the time I reached the outside door, they were gone but unless they had an airboat. They must have, hidden somewhere on the edge of this little island. Oh, there are a thousand places in the brush and trees where it could have been hidden. Do you see? Look, a thousand places. I don't see Leon's airboat out here, only yours. They took it. That's why I think there was more than one of them. And now I must leave you. You what? I must go into a telephone. I'll be back as soon as possible. Well, now, look, wait a minute. Dr. Allwood. Now that you're here in charge, I must telephone the FBI. Hello, wait. They've already been notified by... Well, I'll be darned if I'm going to chase him. What's more, I doubt if I could have caught him in the old airboat that I had. So, all right, it would give me a chance to look around alone. Sometimes that's the best way. I poked around outside for a while, looking for where Leon's attackers might have concealed the boat they'd used. In that swamp and brush, it was like looking for a needle in a haystack. Then I walked back to the laboratory building. The front door was closed. Funny, funny. I thought we'd left it open a minute ago. Oh, well. Huh? Oh, no, you don't! Oh.
2: Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Salkoff sequel matters.
4: I don't know how long I was out after the attack on me at the hidden laboratory in the Everglades. But when I came to, I was lying in Alworth's bed. Across the room at a desk sat a well-dressed man going through files of papers and folders. I played possum because I wanted time to think. If Leon Salkoff had been murdered by subversives, then this man must be one of them. But how had he got here without Alworth knowing? Or did Alworth know? After all, now that I had time to think about it, his explanation of what had happened to Salkoff had been pretty glib. And the doctor's sudden departure a while ago. To phone the FBI, he'd said, didn't he know that Todd Swam had called him? In any event, he'd run off to leave me alone like a sitting duck. Who was the man sitting here? And why hadn't he killed me when he had the chance? And I rolled over and groaned. My head felt like it was split down the middle. Oh. Well, Mr. Dollar, you finally come around. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, you were quite concerned about you. We... Oui. I'm terribly sorry about what we did to you, but until we frisked you and discovered your identity. Who are you? Walter Brennan, FBI. Oh. When we found you prowling around, we thought you might be one of the people we hoped to trap here. The killer of Leon Salkoff? Selkoff is not dead, Mr. Dollar. What? Have you forgotten a case here in Florida that you handled last year? Harley Barron. Yes, another scientist who apparently disappeared. Actually, we had arranged the whole thing so that his whereabouts would not be known while he continued with his nuclear research. Yeah, I remember. The report of his death and disappearance was to throw off our pals behind the Iron Curtain. Precisely. So now you've done the same thing? Ouch. Again, I'm sorry, Dollar. But we didn't know who you were. We didn't want to take any chances. You say we, Mr. Brennan. My colleague, Mike Crucian, who's in searching the laboratory. Oh, for what? There are two groups. Agents from behind the Iron Curtain who would like to get to Leon Salkoff, either to gain the secrets he's learned in this laboratory or to get rid of him because of his help to this country's defense and missile programs. So if he's reported dead, each will think the other did it and they'll stop chasing him. Exactly. We had to act fast because Leon has already spotted some of his uh, ex-pals, as you call them, in this general area. Does Dr. Allworth know this whole thing was rigged? No, and you mustn't tell him. He's a great scientist, but... uh, well, he might let the cat out of the bag. Stall him, Dollar. Stall for time. Drag out your pretended investigation. It'll delay always bringing in the police, that sort of thing, until we can take care of Salkoff. that is, install him in his new place. Well, maybe I'm a little muddled because of this wallop on the head, but I should think you'd tell everybody you can, you know, to make sure his so-called death is publicized. Make sure these people who are after him will get the word. Don't worry, they know. I'd stake my life on it. And needless to say, if any of them come out here, we'll be ready for them. Oh, Michael, what did you find? Nothing, not a single saw. Sol- oh, see, Mr. Dollar's come too. Yeah, almost. Say, I'm sorry about the way I slugged you, Dollar. Yeah, me too. I'm sure Walter told you why. You find anything in here, Walt? No, I'm afraid we'll have to go back. Oh, uh, Dollar. Yeah. I take it Dr. Allworth is in on one of his usual all day trips for supplies. Yeah, yeah, something like that. We've got to leave you for a while. You have your gun. You know what to do if anyone suspicious comes around. Well, now, look, when the doctor comes back, I'll have to tell him you've been here. Fine, and that we'll be back. Well, yes. We'll be back. Oh, sure. Well, Dollar, we'll we'll see you later, huh? Now, you rest. You need it. You're not kidding. Come along, Michael. I felt so rocky, I didn't quite know what to make of it. I heard them leave by the outer door. Then a couple of minutes later, from off at one side, I heard their airboat leave. Wait a minute. It wasn't going out by the channel I'd been given to understand was the only way out of this place. Strange. Painfully, I rose and walked out. My head so much, I could hardly think straight. There was something wrong here. Oh, sure, they'd left me a gun, but... yeah. They'd left it with me, all right, but the chambers had been emptied. My airboat was still where I'd parked it in front of the building, too. Yeah, but it wouldn't start. Tamper would, maybe. Then I heard it. Another boat coming into the regular channel. In the distance, I could see there were two people in it. Quickly I crouched behind a clump of brush until I saw who the two men were. Mac! McLaughlin! Oh! Hi, Dollar! Like I always said, you were out here. Mr. McLaughlin was already on his way when I telephoned. Why didn't you tell me the FBI had already been sent for, Mr. Dollar? I tried to, but you Good took the on the butcher. Johnny, journey. what happened to you? Oh, a couple of your own boys did this, Mike. What? Men from the Bureau? That's what they said. And I was so addled from this knock on the head. Johnny, that's impossible. What do they look like, Walt? What are their names? Walter Brandman, for one. Brenman, 5'11", sparse gray hair, blue eyes, about 150 pounds, mark of spectacles on his nose. Perfect description. And the other? Michael Crucian. Heavy set, maybe 5'6", about 200 pounds. Right. Small scar above the right eye, heavy, almost gravelly voice. Yeah. Brenman and Crucian, huh? So they said. We're in trouble, Johnny. What? Unless I'm completely cockeyed, those are the boys who kidnapped and
3: probably killed Leon Selkov. Max. We've been waiting a long time to catch up with them. Their real names are Brenmanoff and Krushensky, spies and killers from, and well, you know where.
2: Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Off sequel matter. <laughs>
4: Lachlan, my old friend of the FBI, gave Dr. Alworth a gun with instructions to lock himself into his lab and shoot on sight anybody who set foot on the island before we got back. Then we took off in the air Briefly as possible, I told Mac what had happened to me at the laboratory there in the middle of the Everglades. Only a pair like Brenmanoff and Kreschensky would have the guts to impersonate FBI agents. After that beating, I was too muddled to even ask for their credentials. What I don't understand, Mac, is why they didn't kill me. They haven't yet learned the formula that missile fuels. So? They've got to leave every possible door open, Johnny. With you convinced that they're from the Bureau... So they think. Yeah? Well, it meant they could go back to the lab. After the doctor returned, maybe even get your help in obtaining the formula from him. What? Sure. The abduction of Leon Southoff would indicate the doctor himself is in danger. Well, that's true. But if he wanted his work carried on, if anything should happen to him... Well, who better to give the formula to than agents of the FBI? On the way out to the lab, he was ready to give it to me. Hey, Mac, he and Kay's little visit are prowling through the lab and all was papers. It means they didn't get the formula from Leon Salkoff. Which probably explains their sudden departure. They couldn't find the formula at the lab, so they'll go back and put the pressure on Leon again. Makes sense, Mac. And I sure hope he's still alive. But where? Well, let's hope an all-points bulletin will help us catch up with them when they leave this swamp. Got to come out of it somewhere. They've had a big head stern on us. Yeah, but this channel we're taking is the most direct route to the highway. Any highway. They carried off their foes pretty well. They even knew about that Polly Barron matter I handled with you boys. Why not? You broadcast the whole thing on your radio show. You gave me clearance. Sure. Just keep mum about this affair, huh? Until after the boys on the East Coast launch a space satellite successfully. Don't worry. A few minutes later, we pulled up at Ben Osceola's shack at the head of the bayou where we'd left our car.
2: We'll use mine, Johnny. It's better equipped
4: than yours for whatever we may run into. I saw what he meant, because in back of the seat was a regular arsenal. As we tore out of the jungle and headed south on Highway 29, Mac short-waved in all points okay, to every town okay, in the area and to you the state to keep police. Me posted. Over. We're heading south, Johnny, because you said that's the way they left the island by airboat. Right, Mac. But with the way those rivers and bayous twist around in the swamp, they could come out anywhere. Well, I know this country pretty well. They'd almost have to go south to hit this or any other highway. Now, you keep your eye peeled for any side roads that might lead into where they could land their boat, will you? Hey, look, what about this car that's coming at us? Man, he's really stepping on it. That's okay, Johnny. It's a police car. Police, huh? Sure. Sure. But did you see who was driving it and who was sitting beside him? What? Yeah, Krushensky and our old pal Brentman. on well, only your hat. Uh-huh. They must have heard the all points. Well, if they didn't, they're hearing it now in that car. And if that thing is souped up like most police Don't cars... Don't worry, boy. They won't get away from this old boiler. <laughs> Mac wasn't kidding. How we held the road at over 100 miles an hour, I'll never know. Thanks to the siren on the stolen police car, the road ahead was kept clear. They must have recognized me, though, when we passed. When we finally started to pull up on them, they fired the first shot. I can't weave at this speed, Johnny. Stay down low. I've loaded this gun from the stuff in the back. Watch. Put that lemon squeezer away. Grab the tommy gun the back of the seat. Right. You got it? I got it. All right, Mac, keep your hands on the wheel. Those boys can really shoot. I told you, they're killers. I'd let them have it. Right. Aim for the tires, Johnny. Aim for the tires. Hold it. Hold it. You've got them. They're going off the road. Mac, if they hit that row of cypress trees, they're gone. They're... Yeah, they are. Leon Selkoff, well, I'm afraid he gave more than his skill and efforts to the country he loved that had taken him under its wing. His body was found trussed up and floating face down in the bayou from which Brenmanoff and Khrushensky had launched the airboat. Dr. Alworth, well, now that a U.S. space satellite is carrying out its mission, he's safely and officially working in a government laboratory. Expense account total, including incidentals, and the trip back to Hartford? I'll forget it. If in any way it helped to get the explorer out in space, in orbit, it's on me. Yours, truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Our star will return in just a moment. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a trip to a mining town out near Denver, Colorado. And
4: for me, it's a little too close to the wild, wild west. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote today's story. Heard in our cast were Herb Ellis, Vic Perrin, Harry Bartell, Jack Prusian, Lou Merrill, and Stacey Harris. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Guberly speaking. <laughs>
4: This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
2: (laughs) From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar.
4: Harry Jameson at Paramount Insurance Adjuster, Johnny. Hi, Perry. It's been a long time. I'd begun to think you're neglecting me. Oh, how you talk. Matter of fact, I've just been waiting for a nasty enough case to come along for you. Yeah, you do have a habit of handing me the dirty ones. What is it this time? Four states, out in Denver. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Well, they're a small outfit. By contract, all their claims are rooted through us. Damage appraisals, payment dispersals, and so on. So what's happened? Well, we've had to pay a lot of claims for them recently. Too many. What's more, they've all been big ones and on fairly young policies. Well, Perry, you know as well as I do that things will average out in the long run. Unless... Something's wrong.
5: Sixty thousand on one policy, thirty five thousand on another, seventy thousand, and a cool hundred and fifty thousand on one just last week. Shoot. And the beneficiary in
6: each case has been the same man. Then
4: no wonder you Just leave the door open, Perry. I'll be
2: right over. Bob Bailey. In the exciting adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yes, truly, Johnny Dollar.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. The Paramount Insurance Adjuster's Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Denver dispersal matter. Expense account item one, $1.10 for the cab that took me over to Perry Jameson's office at Paramount. True to form, the door was wide open for me. I kind of thought this thing might get you down here in a hurry, Johnny. Sit down. Yeah, thanks. And I took the liberty of calling TWA and getting you a seat on the plane to Denver. Good idea. When... There's one leaving New York at 6 p.m. Okay. And I'll get you into Denver about, old oh, 10.30 Mountain Time. Uh-huh. Think you can make it? Sure. Charge your expenses to us. That's the deal we have with four states. Huh? Right. And the man to see out there, who's almost a one-man outfit, his name is William Whitney. Got it. Now, look, Perry,
7: I've been thinking on the way over here. woo Wonders we'll never see. Thanks, pal. But how well do you know this man, Whitney? Well, maybe he's in cahoots with this big beneficiary, this Don Ricardo. Is that his name? Yeah. Such things have happened.
4: No, no, Johnny, you're wrong. Poor old Willie Whitney's a mild, timid milk toast. His wife, an ex course girl who probably thought he had money. Well, you can be sure she's the one who wears the pants in the family. Well, Willie would cringe at the thought of hurting a fly. Well, it was an idea. I don't blame you, but no. Forget it. Well, what makes you so sure something's wrong? Well, I didn't say I was, but two hundred and fifteen thousand to one beneficiary in a period of only three months. Well, I just want to be sure it's okay. And I called you in because I am willing to pay to make sure. No, don't worry, Perry. You will. Expense account item two, $141 even. plain and incidentals, Hartford to New York to Denver. Originally Indian country, the Mile High City is now a maze of oil refineries, steel companies, grain mills, chemical and manufacturing plants. A huge downtown shopping area and beautiful tree-studded residential sections. No
7: wonder it's one of the big insurance centers.
4: Item three, two dollars even for a cab in a town where I park myself at the world-famous Brown Palace Hotel. Item four, ten cents, phone call to an old newspaper pal from back east who is now working on the Denver Post.
8: Pete Packard.
4: Johnny Dollar, Pete Packard.
8: Okay, what's the story in Johnny Dollar, well, <laughs> hey, how are you,
7: Keith? Great, great.
8: You gonna be here long? You gotta get together. Where you stay? Sit down,
7: Palace. Now, Pete! Look,
8: you, you want us to dig up a couple of dates? We'll go out on the town. Remember the last time we tied one on together? Ooh, are you <laughs>
7: kidding?
4: I had such a headache the next morning and hasn't left me yet. Well, hey look, listen, Keith,
7: I get away from the desk at two AM.
4: No, you look. Huh? I'm out here on a job. Insurance investigation. Did you ever hear of a man named Don Ricardo?
8: You you know Don Ricardo?
4: No. What do you know about him?
8: Well, uh, Say, now, mind you, I, I, I don't know for sure, Keith, but don't forget, I did a hitch on the Chicago Sun-Times a few years back.
4: Well, what's that got to do with Don Ricardo?
8: It was back in the days of the Capone mob.
4: Oh. And
8: uh, Don Ricardo, well, mind you, nobody was ever able to pin anything on him. Yeah,
4: I see what you mean. Where does he live, Pete?
8: Oh, 20, 30 miles east, the other side of Golden, a little place called Millville. Uh-huh. Now, now mind you, Keith, I, I, I don't want to really say anything against him. I... I mean, if I don't seem to be really telling you anything about it... Well, Pete, I
4: think you've told me plenty.
8: Well, now listen, Keith...
4: Thanks, and I'll be talking to you.
7: It was late and I was tired, but I went downstairs to the cocktail bar and with the help of a big fat tip for a nightcap, got some more lowdown on Don Ricardo. The
4: bartender talked plenty.
7: Yeah, it seems Ricardo was living the life of Riley in the little town of Millville. Lovely home, expensive cars, threw a lot of big gaudy parties. And always for people from out of town. Mostly Chicago or
4: Miami Beach. Yeah, the bartender talked plenty. Until he spotted a lean, well-dressed, rather too well-dressed man sitting alone at one of the tables watching him. A man who'd somehow forgotten to take off the light gray hat that shaded his features and slightly narrowed eyes. The bartender clammed up. I paid for my drink that's item five and was conscious of being watched closely as I casually sorted out and took the elevator out to my room. First thing in the morning, I looked up the address of 4 State. Instead of the striking new Mile High Center, as I'd expected, there was a dingy old office building on South Broadway. William
7: Whitney looked a little old and dingy himself.
5: Johnny Dollar, uh, the special investigator. That's
7: right, Mr. Whitney. Oh, well, sit down, won't you? All right, thanks. Just here on a visit? Uh, I'm here because the insurance adjusters are
4: concerned about some recent claims they've had to pay on policies issued by you.
5: We've been very
7: unfortunate lately, Mr. Dollar. Yeah. $215,000 unfortunate. On only four policies. Yes, and all paid to the same beneficiary by some odd coincidence. You sure it was coincidence? Who were the policyholders? by some
4: old miners living over near Golden. Old miners insuring for those amounts? Yes, sir. They were all able to pay the premium. Give me their names.
9: Yes, sir.
4: Unless I'm cockeyed, there's something wrong with this
7: whole thing, and I intend to find out what it is. The policies were issued in good faith, and the premiums paid. But I agree with you, sir, and I'm terribly concerned. I'm glad
5: you're here, sir. It will not only save the company a lot of money, but it will take a great load off my mind. Here's the list. Yeah,
4: do you know the beneficiary, this Don
7: Ricardo? Only through seeing him when I've given him the checks. Hmm. Barnall, Mulligan, R. Smith, and J. Smith. Did any of these insured have families? Well, I don't know. You see, the beneficiary in each case... Yeah, was... I know. Better let me see those policies.
4: Whitney left me alone while I plowed through his files satisfied, at least, that the policies themselves were okay, I finally left him, hailed a taxi, and told the driver to head for the town of Golden. As we pulled away from the curb, a small black foreign car in the next block swung around and appeared to follow us, and I wondered. But then it cut off at an intersection, and I decided I was imagining things. Until we pulled up at one of the addresses Whitney had given me in Golden, a ramshackle, unpainted old frame house on the edge of town. I told the driver to wait for me and walk up to the front door.
7: Mr. You sure you give me the right address? Yeah, this is the address, all right. But I guess the, huh? Hey, that door opened by itself. I don't know. Hello, hello, anybody? No!
2: Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Our flag
5: now numbers 50 stars. And behind each star, there stands yet another flag representing one of the 50 states. Vermont's state flag, in its early form, imitated our national flag, uniquely bearing 17 stripes and 17 stars, with only the inscribed word Vermont to distinguish it. The good people of Vermont assumed, as did our national government, that stripes as well as stars would be added as each new state entered the Union. Vermont entered the Union after Tennessee and Ohio, and with Kentucky to join shortly, the Vermonters naturally put 17 stripes on their flag. In 1818, the United States Congress put a stop to this, and since then the stripes have always been at 13, and only stars are added for each new state. Vermont's present flag captures the famous beauty of the Green Mountain State in its coat of arms, and inscribed is the phrase, Vermont, freedom, and unity. Vermont's state flag, the flag of the 14th state to enter the Union, was adopted on April 26,
2: 1923. And now, Act Two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Denver Disbursal Matter. <laughs>
4: house at the edge of Golden, Colorado looked empty, but I knocked anyway.
7: You sure you give me the right address, mister?
4: Yeah, driver, this is the address, all right. But I guess that...
7: Huh? Hey! That door opened by itself? I don't know. Hello? Hello? Anybody? Oh!
4: Mister... Go back. Get away from this open door. But you're you're hurt. Your neck, you're bleeding to death. Stay down. Barely nick me. I'm all right. Holy cow. I I thought you was a goner. Here, let me help you. You'll need help if you don't stay out of his line of fire. Well, well, who was it? You see anybody?
9: Hey, listen.
8: Yeah, that's a
5: car pulling away from the back. Get a look at it.
8: Well?
7: Uh, I can't... Can't tell. That dusty side road back there. Looks like a little one, though. Fine car. Too far away now. I can't tell. But it's black. All
4: right, come on. We're getting back into your cab. Yeah, yeah, I'll get you to a doctor. No, no, I'm okay. You know where Millville is? For sure, a few miles east. It's an old mine. Come on. Field. You know where Don Ricardo lives? For Sure, I...
9: You... You want to go there?
7: Does he own a small, black, foreign car? Yeah. Real expensive job. I've, I've seen him in town. But, mister, Come you... on. Because I'll lay odds. He's the one who fired those shots. Uh... Do you mind if I drop you off a few blocks away from his place?
4: The cab driver relented. Dropped me off at Ricardo's front door, then hightailed it for other parts. It was a nice home, very modern. Seemingly out of place in what had once been a prosperous mining center, but was now a little more than a ghost town.
7: Yes? Mr. Ricardo? That's right. Who are you? I think you know, but I'll tell you anyhow... I'm Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. Oh, come in, Mr. Dollar. We can sit in the den. Would, uh, would you like a drink? No, thanks. What happened to your neck there? It's been bleeding. I uh, we'll get to that later. I've been rather expecting someone like you to call in view of my good fortune in insurance money lately. Yeah. Uh, sit down. You sure you wouldn't like a drink? Tell me one thing. Yes. Who paid the premiums on those four policies that netted you a couple of hundred grand? <laughs> Why, the policyholders, of course, at least uh, to the best of my knowledge. Poor old broken-down miners. They were still quite active, Mr. Dollar, hoping to find a new vein in some of the old workings in this region. Then maybe you grub-staked them, huh? Well, as a matter of fact, I did. And they promised me a share of whatever they might find. In return, they named me in their insurance policy. Oh, you must have given them plenty. More than a worked-out mine could ever yield. How do you mean? To afford
4: the premiums on those hefty policies.
7: Now, look, Dolly, it was all perfectly legal on the up and up. How old were they? Barno. Barno? About 68, I believe. Mulligan. And Smith and the other Smith. About the same. So what? Oh, the company was crazy. How did they die, Ricardo? By some strange coincidence, the poor old fellows all went the same way. Accidents there in the mine, they were working. Did the police investigate those accidents? I imagine so. Now, look, Dolly. Ricardo. As you know very well, I was shot at a few minutes ago. Shot at? At a little isolated house on the edge of
4: Golden. You were a lousy shot. Aye. Now, look here. Also, you should have known better than to park that little foreign job of yours in the driveway, at least without washing it down. What are you
7: talking about? That kind of purplish dust it's covered with. Dust? Yeah, I'm talking about the side road, back of that house where you tried to plug me. Well? Okay, okay, Dollar. Maybe you're right about the whole thing. So what if I did try to knock you off? Oh, you admit it, huh? Yeah, why not? But since I didn't kill you then... Oh, I... no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right,
6: all right, all right.
5: Put him up. Pete. that wall, your your off. Off. Yeah. Come, me. On. Get, come on, get your hands Officer, off.
4: I've never seen a prettier uniform in my life. What is this? What is this? We've been waiting a long time to nail you, Ricardo. Get him out of here, boys. All
5: right,
6: take it easy.
4: Take it easy. Pete!
8: So help me, Keith. I knew if anybody would bring Ricardo out in the open, you would.
4: You mean to say that...
8: Yeah, I figured I'd bring these... Better bring these state police out here.
4: Oh, Pete, you're a dog.
8: Now let you and me go out and tear the town apart, huh?
4: Later. After I finish this job.
2: of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment.
9: Over 150 years ago, the Swiss poet Henri Amiel wrote, Heroism is the brilliant triumph of the soul over fear. Heroism is the dazzling and glorious concentration of courage. During the Korean campaign, Corporal Ronald Rosser was attached to the heavy mortar company of the 38th Infantry, 2nd Division, United States Army. Rosser a veteran of World War II, rejoined the army and shipped to Korea when he heard that his brother had fallen in the winter assault of the Chinese communists. One day, Rosser's company moved into enemy territory. At the time, the corporal was a forward observer and carried a radio. Suddenly, in the midst of an enemy attack, Rosser handed his radio to a buddy, slipped the safety off his carbine, and filled his shirt with hand grenades. He charged at the enemy through fierce mortar and artillery fire... ...shooting from the hip. Straddling a bunker, he riddled its occupants. Still advancing, he accounted for two more of the enemy... ...shooting one through the head and clubbing another to death. Continuing his one-man charge... ...he jumped into a trench full of enemy soldiers... ...opened fire and forced his way relentlessly down the length of the trench... ...killing right and left with grenades and carbine fire. Out of ammunition... He returned to his company, where he replenished his supply. Then he charged the enemy again and again. Finally, he returned to his own area. And taking the radio back from his friend, he moved out with his company. Corporal Ronald Rosser was awarded the Medal of Honor for his action. Action which had shown the enemy that his personal code of conduct wouldn't let them push around either his kid brother or his country.
2: And now, Act Three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Denver Dispersal Matter.
4: It took hours, even with Pete Packard's help, and he finally had to go back to his job at the Denver Post. But there in Don Ricardo's house, carefully hidden away under a drawer lining and a sideboard, I found what I was looking for a handful of canceled checks. It was well after dark when I appropriated one of Ricardo's fancy cars and drove back to Denver, to a little house in the south end of town. Not far from the office of Four State Insurance Company. As I pulled to a stop, a big massive truck nearly sideswiped me. Good. It covered the sound of my stopping there. As unobtrusively as possible, I walked up to the front door of the place. Even above the sound of passing traffic, I could hear voices, loud ones, coming from somewhere in the rear of the building. Cautiously, I edged my way around the side to where I could see the lighted window of a bedroom.
5: Stop asking questions, get the things back. Make sure it's only enough put in the
0: car with traveling light and fast. All right, Willie. All right, already. Boy, you're bossier than Don ever was when you wanted to. Could fit. get
5: Don Ricardo and collect your stuff. If it wasn't for me, you'd still be working in one of his nightclubs in Chicago.
0: Lucky you never talked this way down to that insurance office of so stop that. I thought we were gonna stay in Denver until you made a lot of dough at the insurance racket, huh? I
4: left this happy domestic scene to walk slowly back to the front door. Yep. My original hunch at the office in Hartford had been right. What's
7: that?
9: Somebody at the front door. Well, why don't you go answer it? Huh? Will we? Oh, Oh, Mr. Dollar. That's right. Oh, my, I'm glad you're here, sir.
4: Oh, you look upset, Mr. Whitney. I am, sir. I am terribly upset. Handbags? They're in the hall? Yes.
7: Going somewhere? (laughs) It's that. Don Ricardo Oh, I thought you didn't really know him. I didn't. Oh, if only I'd done it before. I'd never have issued those policies naming him as beneficiary. Done what, Mr. Whitney? Investigated that
5: Ricardo. But I did, after you left me this morning. He's a gangster. An ex-gangster, Mr. Dollar. No. Yes. I suddenly realized that in your investigation, you'd, you'd investigate him. And he'd think I'd had you investigate him. He'd think I was
9: trying to make trouble
5: for him. Frightened me.
7: Frightened me
9: terribly. And that's why you decided to leave town, huh? Yes, yes, of course. Until this whole thing blows over. He's a dangerous man. He'd stop at nothing. He might even try to kill me. I must leave here immediately. Oh, I wouldn't be too sure of that.
4: Where did you plan to go? Far away. Anywhere where he couldn't find me. And where maybe I couldn't find you. Of course. What? Why did you say that? Well, I was just thinking. This morning when I was going through the files at your office, you left me alone for a
5: while. Yes, yes, I recall that I did. Why?
4: To make a phone call, maybe? To Don Ricardo? What? Is that why he just happened to be waiting in his little foreign car a block or so up the street about the time I left your office in a cab? Mr. Darwin. Pretty good theory, isn't it? Especially when I have these little scraps of paper to back it up. What are those? Some of Don Ricardo's canceled checks. Made out to you. Twenty percent of the take on those big, fat insurance payments. Where did you get those? Twenty-two. They're all dated one day after you paid off on each of those big claims. Give me oh, those. you don't. We're going to need these.
6: Inco- no, I'll kill you.
5: Mr. Milkdose. You, you dirty... I'll kill you. Okay, baby. All right.
4: All right. Okay, Willie, get up on your feet.
5: Yes, sir. Uh, anything you say, Mr. Dollar... But please, you must believe me. Oh,
4: I'm cut an it. innocent. That man. That timid soul pose of yours may have sold insurance to a handful of suckers, Whitney. But it hasn't sold me a thing. Oh, I suppose you find them in every trade. That still doesn't justify their even being alive, though. Fortunately, in the insurance business, they never get away with it for long. Even a team like Whitney and Ricardo. I wonder if they're sharing the same cell. Expense account, item six, ten dollars to the doctor who so sewed up my neck. Item seven, eighty four dollars for a night on the town with Pete Packard. Strangely enough, I still have a bit of a headache from it. Expense account total, including a little gift to that taxi driver, incidentals and transportation back to Hartford, three hundred ninety one dollars and eighty cents. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: will return in just a moment.
8: Our flag now numbers 50 stars, and behind each star there stands yet another flag representing one of the 50 states. Idaho's state flag depicts the prime industrial pursuit of its citizens, mining. Balanced against this image is a female figure combining the virtues of the goddess of liberty, for she carries the spear and cap of liberty, and the goddess of justice, represented by the scales in her hand. A bright, shining star in the heavens is an indication that Idaho has joined the nation. Overall is the motto, Esto perpetua, may she endure forever. Idaho's state flag, the flag of the 43rd state to enter the Union, was adopted on March 12, 1907.
2: Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a killer's list.
4: That's right. A list of victims. And guess who's on it. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote today's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Forrest Lewis, Barney Phillips, Edgar Beria, Frank Gerstle, and Peter Leeds. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Coverly speaking.
4: This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
2: From Hollywood, it's time now for Johnny Dollar.
4: Pat Cummings, Interallied allied Life. Hi, Pat. What's new with you? Johnny, ever hear of Everett Benton? No, I'm afraid not.
2: Investment firm down in New York. Real estate, oil, mining, this and that. What about him? We're carrying a $100,000 life policy on him. So? So last night he fell out of a 14-story window.
4: Oh, that's too bad. Accident, Pat, or was it suicide?
2: Maybe neither. I think he got pushed.
4: I'll be right over. (laughs) To the Inter Allied Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Killer's List matter. Expense account item one dollar twenty for a taxi from my apartment to the offices of Inter Allied. Pat Cummings looked worried and got straight to the point. I don't know, Johnny. Maybe Benton wasn't pushed out that window. But there's something about this deal that just doesn't smell right to me. What can you tell me about this man, Benton?
2: Everett Benton, 45 years old, doing very well in business, so far as we know. Last night, about 10 o'clock, he fell or jumped or was pushed out of his office window. This policy on him, who's the beneficiary?
4: His wife, Claire. What's she like? About 12 years younger. Redhead. I see. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I think i better have a talk with Mrs. Benton. Item two, $14.40, transportation and incidentals to New York City. The Benton's apartment was on East 67th. Very fashionable, very expensive. And Claire Benton looked right at home in her surroundings.
0: Do you mind if I fix us a drink, Mr. Dollar?
4: Not at all, Mrs. Benton. It's
0: been a pretty wearing day. I
4: imagine it has.
0: Police, questions, reporters.
4: You yeah. I'm sorry to be throwing more questions at you at a time like this.
0: I'm used to it by now. Here's your drink. Thanks. Cheers.
4: Yeah, cheers. You know, you certainly seem to be bearing up very well.
0: Yes, I suppose so. Mr. Dollar, I think it would save time and embarrassment if we had a few things understood. Such as? You've heard of the ideal marriage. Well, Everett's and mine was not it. Oh. Naturally, I'm very sorry he did what he did, but... Well, we weren't exactly happy together.
4: I take it you think he committed suicide, Mrs. Benton.
0: Is there any doubt about that?
4: Apparently not in your mind. None at all. If it was suicide, why did he do it?
0: I wouldn't know. Everett hadn't confided in me for some time. We haven't been very close recently. Well, Mrs. Benton, just suppose
4: it wasn't suicide.
0: Everett had no enemies that I knew of.
4: I see. About the insurance policy.
0: Yes. About the insurance policy, Mr. Dollar. $100,000, isn't it?
4: That's right. When you get ready to file a claim.
0: I intend to in the morning. I see. Oh, and one other thing. It just so happens that I have an alibi for last evening. Oh. And it's the nicest kind of alibi there is, Mr. Dollar. What do you mean? It's airtight.
4: And that was Claire Benton. Very calm and collected. And incidentally, anxious to collect. I thought her over all the way to the office of Detective Lieutenant Tovich of Homicide. That's item three, a $1.60 care fare. Yeah, I talked to her, Johnny. She's a hard one to figure out. Well, what do you think, Tovich? Did he jump or get pushed? You got any ideas? How about financial troubles? He was in the investment business. Have you looked into that? According to his lawyer, his affairs are in good shape. Oh, he'd made his share of poor investments over the years. Wildcat oil leases, stuff like that. But in general, he was doing okay. He was worth a lot of dough, Johnny. <sighs> okay, let's assume he was pushed out that window. What was he doing in his office at 10 p.m.? I've wondered about that, too. Any indication anybody was with him? No. The night watchman was in another part of the building when Benton came in. Let himself in with his own key. There could have been somebody else with him, all right. But who? Claire Benton says she has an alibi. Yeah. Don't know as I care for it much, but I haven't been able to break it down. Who is her alibi? Larry Santis. Santis, Santis. Runs a supper club over in these 50s. Yeah. The ace of clubs, he calls Larry it. Larry Santis. Thanks, Tovich. So I went calling again. But this time it was different from my visit to Claire Benton. In the first place, Santis didn't offer me a drink. And in the second place, he wasn't very friendly. Ah, uh, look, Dal, I already told the cops that Claire was here in the club last evening. All evening? Until midnight. Out in the bar? Most of the time. What difference does it make? How about the rest of the time? We were talking here in my office. Just the two of you? Just the two of us. Now, look, dolly. What it boils down to is you've each got alibis for one another, huh? That's right. Now, look, nosy boy. Claire didn't kill Benton. At the moment, I wasn't thinking so much about her. Wait, Wait a minute. If you're trying to pin this on me, You and Claire have been pretty friendly, Santis. She benefits to the tune of a hundred grand by Benton's death. Look, Dollar, Dollar, you're blowing smoke in the wrong direction. I like the arrangement the way it was. Why should I try to change it? Well, that's a good question. So just let it drop. You get me? You got nothing to worry about, Santis, if you've got nothing to hide. I don't want this kind of publicity. It's bad for my business. You know what's wrong with you, Dollar? You got nose trouble. Yeah, occupational disease. You better just get over it. Sometimes it turns out to be fatal.
2: Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Killer's List Matters. <laughs>
4: You didn't get any further with Larry Santis than I did, Johnny. Look, Tovich, both Santis and Claire Benton had a motive for killing her husband. Matter of fact, two motives. Money and getting Benton out of their way. Johnny, I'm with you. We're not even sure yet it was murder. We do have something that indicates somebody might have been in Benton's office with him, though. Yeah, what is it? We found a cigarette butt in one of the ashtrays. Different brand than Benton smoked. Could it have been left there during the day? Janitor says he cleans out the ashtrays about seven in the evening. Of course, he could have
9: overlooked one. So I don't know whether it means anything or not. Oh, excuse me. Yeah.
4: Homicide, Tovich. Well? Where? Okay, uh, I'll be right over.
5: And Johnny, looks like we've got ourselves a little epidemic.
4: What do you mean? Ever hear of a guy named Arthur Mayfield? Promoter? No, what about him? They just found him in an alley. Dead. Wait a minute. Don't tell me.
9: Yeah. Fell out of a 10th floor hotel room.
4: Lieutenant Tovich and I went over to the West Side Hotel where Mayfield's body had been discovered. There was nothing in his room to indicate anyone had been there with him. As a matter of fact, there was nothing couriered. Item four, a dollar, 80 cab fare to Claire Benton's apartment.
0: Mr. Dollar, I really don't see the point of this. I've told you twice that I did not know this Arthur Mayfield.
4: Did you ever hear your husband mention his name?
0: I've never heard the name until now. From you. (sighs) Mrs. Benton... Mind
4: telling me where you were last night around midnight?
0: I take it that's when Mayfield died. Approximately.
4: I, uh, I suppose you have an alibi.
0: You suppose correctly.
4: You know something? I wouldn't be at all surprised if you were about to tell me you were with Larry Santis again.
0: You know something, Mr. Dollar? That's exactly where I was last night.
4: I know, Tovich. I know it could be just a coincidence that two guys fall or jump or get shoved out of windows within 24 hours. But I got a hunch there's some kind of connection between them.
9: Could be, Johnny. But so far, we haven't been able to find it. Well, how about their
4: past? The armed forces, maybe. I've already checked that out. The answer's no. Could they have been involved in any sort of business deal? I asked Benton's attorney about that. He's checking through all of his papers he's
9: promised to call me.
4: And you haven't been able to find any organization they both belong to, any situation in which they could have been thrown together?
9: Not so far. Unless they served on a jury together, something like that. Well,
4: don't laugh. That could be it. And they might have convicted somebody who took this way of getting revenge. I'll check it
2: out and call you if we find a connection. But don't count on it, Johnny. Don't count on anything.
6: I
4: went back to my hotel room and stretched out on the bed while I rehashed the whole deal in my mind. I thought about Claire Benton and Larry Santis. I didn't trust either of them. But as Tovich had pointed out, it was another thing to prove it. Okay, okay, coming.
6: Yeah?
3: Mr. Dollar? That's right. You're investigating the murders of Benton and Mayfield? Well, I don't think they've been officially described as murders. No, but they are, Mr. Dollar. I'm certain of it. Who are you? Uh, My name is Alvin Whiting. I have some information that may be of value to you. May I come in? Come in. Come in. Thank you. If you don't mind, I'd like to look out the window a minute. You're being followed? I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. What is this information you have, Mr. Whiting? A couple of years ago, three men got together and bought an oil lease from a man named Tom Nolan. Did you ever hear of him? No. Well, he was a very eccentric man, hot-tempered, violent. He needed the money badly, so he sold the lease, which then was little better than worthless. Benton and Mayfield were in that deal together. I see. But I still don't understand what that has to do with their murders. I'm convinced their killer is Tom Nolan getting revenge on them in his own warped way.
4: Revenge? For buying a worthless oil lease from him?
3: Last week, oil was discovered on that property, a lot of it. The property is now worth millions. Ah. I think that Nolan, with his twisted way of looking at things, probably feels that he was cheated out of that property. You're suggesting that this Nolan isn't quite all there, huh? Exactly. That's exactly what I mean. What's your connection with all this, Mr. Whiting? I'll tell you what my connection is, Mr. Dollar. I was in on the deal with Benton and Mayfield. I was the third man. Ah. So, you see, if my suspicions are correct, if Nolan is the killer, then I'm the next man on his list. <laughs>
2: Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the killer's list matter. I took Alvin
4: Whiting down to Lieutenant Tovich's office and he told his story again. I could see that Tovich felt the same way I did, that at last we were getting someplace. Matter of fact, Johnny, I was about to call you. Benton's lawyer just turned up the lease agreement, linking Benton, Mayfield, and Mr. Whiting here.
3: Question is, where's Tom Nolan. I don't think I'll draw an easy breath until he's been found and arrested.
4: We have a bulletin out on him, Mr. Whiting.
3: One thing we found out, about a year
4: ago, he served time for assault and battery. Oh? Mr. Whiting, I'd suggest you take every precaution until we pick up Nolan.
3: Don't worry, Lieutenant. I propose to remain in my apartment until you apprehend
9: him. I'll post a man in the building to look after you. Thank
4: you, sir. Homicide, Tovich.
9: Oh? What's the address?
1: Hmm. Right. Right.
4: Thank you. We've located
5: the little hotel where Nolan's been staying. Come on, Johnny.
2: That's Mr. Nolan's room at the end of the hall, Lieutenant. Uh, Okay, clerk. Is he in? I don't know. I really haven't seen
4: him since he rented the room from me. How long ago was that? About a week ago, Mr. Dollar. If he's gone out since then, it must have been at night when I was off duty. Uh, Here we are. Uh, Try your pass key, quietly. Right, gone. Bag and baggage. Yeah.
5: Room's been used recently, though.
4: Hey, and this ashtray, cigarette butt. Hmm, Same brand we found in Benton's office. Doesn't prove anything, but it might tie in. Yeah, Tom Nolan could be our boy, but where is he? You say he rented the room from you, clerk. What'd he look like? Oh, well, middle-aged, as I remember. Bushy hair, sort of a Wild look to him. Fits the general description Alvin Whiting furnished us. And the mugshot I pulled out of the files. Well, all we can do now is rig a stake out for him here. And then wait. Lieutenant Tovich posted a couple of men in Nolan's room and we went back to headquarters. While he was getting out another bulletin, I went through Nolan's record. and battery, resisting arrest. There was no doubt he was a violent sort of guy. And with the indication Whiting had given us that Nolan was a little unbalanced, the weird revenge motive might fit. Then something in the records caught my eye. I went back to the office of Larry Santis at a supper club. Oh, look, doll, I told you the last time you were here... Now, I got a few things to tell you, Santis. The two murder victims, Mayfield and Benton, went in on a business deal with a man named Alvin Whiting. All right, so what? They bought an oil lease from Tom Nolan. All of a sudden, last week, that lease got real valuable... Alvin Whiting figures that Nolan's the killer, says he's not all there, and he was trying to get his own strange kind of revenge. Look, Dollar, what's all this got to do with me? That's what I want you to tell me. Look, I don't know anything about any of them. Last year, Nolan was arrested for assault and battery. According to the police records, the man who put up bail for him was you. Okay. Okay, so I put up bail for him. Look, Tom Nolan's my uncle, dolly. Sure, he's offbeat, but, but he's harmless. Assaulting battery? Harmless? So he beat up a guy. That doesn't mean he'd kill anybody. How'd he get mixed up with Benton, Mayfield, and Whiting? Well, he, he... He was broke. I asked Benton's wife to get her husband and the others interested in buying Tom's lease to get him some dough. I didn't know the lease would turn out to be valuable. After Nolan got out of jail, he left town, moved to Coopersville. That's uh, upstate. Yeah. Well, he's had a room right here in the city for the last week.
9: I didn't know that.
7: Believe me, I didn't. Look, I haven't heard from him for six months. That's the truth. Dollar,
4: I've told you all I know. I still didn't trust Santis, but decided to follow up the lead he'd given me about Coopersville. Maybe Tom Nolan had gone back there. I called Tovich to tell him, and he had a nasty little surprise for me. Alvin Whiting had disappeared from his apartment. I didn't know whether Tom Nolan had gotten to Whiting or not, but I did know I had to find Nolan in a hurry. I hightailed it to Coopersville. It was a small town with half a dozen hotels and rooming houses. I made the rounds, flashing Nolan's picture. Finally, I struck pay dirt.
0: Why, yes, I recognize that picture. That's Tom, all right. But well, he told me his last name was Niles.
4: You say he roamed here, Mrs. Carr?
0: Yes. Kept himself, mostly, but he didn't make no trouble for anybody, as far as I could see. We didn't hear about, oh, six months ago. Around well, the end of September it was. And then last week, he... he left
4: us. Sure, he probably found out they'd struck oil and moved into the city.
0: You don't understand, Mr. Dollar. When I say he left us, I mean that last week, Tom Niles died. Oh.
4: There I was. But all of a sudden, the deal started adding up in my mind. It was after dark when I got to the graveyard and my flashlight picked out the simple headstone. Tom Niles. Yeah, Tom Nolan. Resting in peace right where he'd been all through the murders he was supposed to have committed. The shot knocked the flashlight out of my hand. I hit the dirt, but the flash had pegged the gun for me. Well, well. Alvin Whiting. Oh, Dollar, I... My arm. Oh, don't worry. I'll get you a doctor, Whiting. I want you to be in good shape, to stand trial. How'd you Dollar, work? It? I... Hire some drifter to rent that room back in New York under Nolan's name? Some character you picked up in the
3: park? Oh, you've got... You've got to understand. I... I had to have the money.
4: I was in debt. I was desperate. You almost got the money, too, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it almost worked. You rigged the story that Nolan was the killer, that you were on his list of victims. That way you end up in sole possession of the oil lease.
3: If I'd only known he was...
4: Yeah. Never try to frame a guy who's already dead. Expense account total $146.50. Remarks? I turned Whiting over to the police and he made a full statement. Yeah, his motive was money. He was in the hole, gambling debts and bills, high cost of living, you might say. But I guess he knows now it's still a real bargain compared to the high cost of dying. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Our star will return in just a moment. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, Dame Nature takes a hand and helps me solve a crime.
4: Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Today's story was written by Robert Wright. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Lillian Biaf, Jack Edwards, Jack Moyles, Tony Barrett, Parley Bear, and Carlton G. Young. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Cumberly speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
1: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of golden age radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers.